Beloved, as we consider the Word of God, we consider Genesis 1 through 11. When we take God at what He says, when we believe that God means what He says and says what He means in all of His Word, including Genesis 1 through 11, when we take Genesis 1 through 11 literally, it goes far beyond merely the contrast between the truth of creation and the lie of evolution. Um, it is this, to be sure, but it is far more than that. Uh, all of the essential truths of the gospel are contained and find their foundation in Genesis 1 through 11. For example, chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is God's creation ordinance to man to be fruitful, multiply, fill up the earth. Uh, God reaffirmed this to Noah after the flood. In chapter 9, verse 1, God tells Noah, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And he says it again in verse 7 of chapter 9, lest Noah missed it the first time. Now the situation is we know that they came from off the ark and Noah and his sons and as they began to have children and multiply, they gathered together in Babel. And in rebellion against God, as he records just two chapters later in chapter 11, the people, the men, weren't satisfied with the name of God and they were desiring to rebel against God and even against his creation ordinance to fill up the earth. And in verse 4 of chapter 11, you see the words, they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth in direct defiance of God's creation ordinance. God's response in verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there, confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So, verse 8, the Lord, so Yahweh scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. So, what man in his rebellion and sin would not do by joyful obedience, God forced them to do by virtue of his judgment and then even as we think of the scattering at that point in chapter 11 back in chapter 10 in verse 1 we see the generation of the sons of Noah and then when we read the rest of chapter 10 as a result of God scattering them and confusing the language and scattering them we see the seven different divisions of cities and locations and peoples and sons and nations that come out in Genesis chapter 10. This is the dawn of world history recorded in Genesis chapter 10. This is the birth of all the nations of the earth. This is the birth of all the families of the earth. Now, as good students and as sensible people, we can ask the question, what comes after Genesis chapters 10 and 11? Good answer, chapter 12, you come to the front of the class. And what do we see? Thank you, Casey, Andrew. Thank you. 
at the beginning of verse 12, what do we see God saying to Abram? Verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. So whereas when sinful man discounts God and desires to make a name for himself or herself in defiance of God, God will squash that. But when the child of God seeks to worship God and give God the glory, God will give you a name. And in a very unique, obvious way to Abram, he will give him a significant name. Verse 3, and I will bless those who bless you and I The one who curses you, I will curse you. This is God setting apart Abram and the nation of Israel as the apple of his eye. But beloved, it doesn't stop there. Look at what he says at the end of verse 3. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So all those families, all those nations, all those cities, not each and every person, but God's goodness will saturate through all of the earth. Beloved, the purpose even of God choosing Abraham and blessing Israel is not just that he would choose and bless Israel. No, it was also to bless all the families of the earth. And the same thought, God tells us the same thought even through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 49 verse 6, the prophet says, It is too small a thing that you, God says through Isaiah, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. That's God's blessing on Israel and it would be too small of a thing if it was confined to that. But at the end of verse 6, I will also make you a light of the nation so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is the word of God. Beloved, please open your Bibles to 3 John, the third epistle of John, towards the end of your Bibles. Beloved, dearly beloved, God has been, God is doing a great thing in the nations of the earth. What is our part in this work? What missionaries, what global partners do we partner with? Do we support? Do we pray for? Do you know the missionaries that we are associated with and blessed to co-labor with? What missionaries do you yourself personally financially support? Are you encouraging your children to be missions-minded? Are you encouraging your children to not think in the context of a Gilbert, Arizona, United States of America Christian but in the context of a biblical, international, worldwide Christian. In our men's ministry, through the table talk meetings, and our wonderful men's big breakfast, the last one we had, it was centered on missions. What we're doing here this morning is I'm taking a brief break to talk about missions before we pick up Hebrews chapter 2 next weekend. And for you men that were blessed to be there at our last men's big breakfast, you'll remember that we had the wonderful opportunity to have a live stream interview and interaction with Micah Turner from Albania. And we had some technical difficulties. We weren't able to do it here in the worship center, so we had to adjourn over to the media room. And I remember going up, as we were starting to run late, I had a message prepared to give on missions. And I went up to Justin, and I went up to, I think, Tim and Mike, and said, look, don't worry about my message. I can give that any time. This is important, what Micah has to say. And I had no idea what a tremendous blessing it was going to be. 
of the like-mindedness of the one faith, one baptism, same philosophy of ministry in Albania as it is in Gilbert, as it is anywhere around the world. Beloved, what we're going to do this morning is use 3 John verses 5 through 8 as our text as a framework for this message about being a global Christian. Hear the word of God. This is 3 John verse 5 through 8. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they bear witness to your love before the church. And you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the the truth. This is the word of God, beloved, that has been read in your hearing. Please attend to it as such. Now, beloved, what we see in these four verses, we see four marks of a missions-minded man, of a global Christian, of a missions-minded woman. Uh, The mark of their reputation, of his or her reputation, of his or her commission, of his or her, especially his, qualification, and lastly, their collaboration. And beloved, the intent, again, is that we would have a biblical international worldview. Even as we live in this comfy confines and cozy Gilbert, Arizona, to understand the gospel of God goes to every family of the earth. So let's look at the first mark of a global Christian, namely his or her reputation. We know that for leaders in the church, that a good reputation is a sine qua non requirement for a leader in the church, a necessary requirement for a leader in the church. For example, the seven men that were selected in Acts chapter 6. Select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation. Or the qualification for an elder, for a pastor, 1 Timothy 3 verse 7 Paul tells Timothy he must have a good reputation with those outside the church. So again, that is a necessary requirement for leadership within the church. But that should be the goal. That should be what every Christian man and woman aspires to is to have a good reputation within the church and outside the church. Not for our own esteem, not for our own name, but for the name of God, for the name of Christ. Here, In verse 5, John says, beloved, singular beloved, he's speaking to Gaius. And third John, this third letter of John is by far the most personal of all three letters of John. He talks to Gaius. He talks about Diotrophes, who was a bad guy. He talks about Demetrius. The last verse in this letter, he says, the friends twice. So this is a very personal letter, and we were introduced to Gaius at the very beginning of the letter when John wrote, Beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. But what he says here in verse 5 is, Beloved Gaius, you're acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. Verse 6, and here's where the reputation comes in. And they bear witness to your love before the church. So the question is, how do the brethren know about the love of Gaius? What is the evidence? They know the love of Gaius by what is visible. They know by what they could see, namely his generosity. His generosity. Gaius 
welcomed traveling pastors, evangelists, and missionaries into his home. He encouraged them. He gave them food. He gave them support and encouragement so that they could go about their missionary labor, so that they could go about the proclamation and the teaching of the message, the way of salvation contained in Scripture. And by the way, Beloved, in the ancient world, hospitality was a necessity. They didn't have a Marriott on every corner. They didn't have a Hilton on the other corner. So even not just in Christian circles, but in the ancient world, hospitality was a necessity. And Gaius demonstrated this, even when he didn't personally know them. That's why he says at the end of verse 6, especially when they are strangers. So, The point here is that Gaius was well-known and he was well-loved by John, by the church in Ephesus, by many Christians. Uh, He was, in a word, a model example of what Christ taught in the upper room discourse on the evening before he was betrayed and crucified after he instituted the first communion after the end of the first Lord's Supper, the first truth that Christ laid out to his disciples was the authentication of how people would know that they truly are followers of him. And do you remember what he said, John 13, 35? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By what? By your love for one another. Gaius demonstrates this. And by the way, uh, the word accomplish in verse 5, er, God's oh my, we get the English word ergonomics, uh, work. The idea here is that this effort, this ministry, this support, this visible demonstration of love will take effort. There will be a sacrifice. There will be a cost to pay, not just materially, financially, but there will be a cost to pay. Nonetheless, Gaius demonstrates this. We can Think also, just in the whole context of what support looks like, we can think of the Apostle Paul. Paul received a contribution from a mature church, namely in Philippi, so that he could minister to an immature church, namely in Corinth. And if you were here last week on Resurrection Sunday, you may remember that the two churches that Paul uniquely identified and addressed as beloved brethren were the mature church in Philippi and the immature church in Corinth. And again, what we see there is he receives a contribution from the mature so that he can minister to the less mature, to the immature. Beloved, here at our beloved Santan Bible Church, we have the amazing blessing and privilege to partner, to co-labor, to be fellow workers with 11 missionary families, one training organization in some 15 to 20 countries and more when you count the number of countries that have national pastors coming to training centers to get trained. And so the question is, do you know them? Do you pray for them? Do you know the Greek professor and his wife, and I don't mention his name for security reasons, and if you're new here and you don't know whom I'm, of whom I'm speaking, look for the tall, handsome, balding, or bald, I guess, Asian fellow, and his beautiful wife, who was in one country in Asia 15 years training national pastors, and even though he didn't have an original tent to intent to pastor a church by necessity became pastor over church and now we are blessed beyond measure to have them in our midst living with us still training pastors back there in asia and we are not just ascending church we are also ascending agency 
Or you can think of Rob and Pam Provost. And Rob likes to be called a global partner rather than a missionary because his thrust is towards marketplace ministry, towards living in and being part of the country. And Lincoln Center, Albania, the churches that have been planted there, uh, a training center for southeastern European pastors that come to be trained. And even now, the Lincoln Global Group, I'm the chairman of the board of directors of the Lincoln Global Group, which sends expatriates, expats, to become citizens in countries in the Neo-Ottoman Empire and Muslim countries to be in there and to live and to love and to share the good news. Or Christian and Cheryl Andreessen. Uh, Christian is the president of the European Bible Training Center, training pastors all around Western Europe and serving in a local church plant, or James and Julia March, living in France and ministering alongside a church ministry in Geneva. Micah and Molly Turner, again, Micah, whom we were blessed to have fellowship with live from Albania at the men's big breakfast, serving in Albania, and his marketplace ministry while pastoring a church. While he started a business there as a platform to seek the shalom and the well-being for the community and to proclaim the gospel while he's pastoring a church, preaching every Sunday, and stuttering, (laughs) studying, not stuttering, he probably stutters it because he's learning, but studying Albanian with the goal, and by the way, this was his prevailing prayer request, you can add this to your prayer list, that God would bless him to learn Albanian so he can preach in Albanian. Or Alberto and Kathy Solano, who moved to Mexico to Guadalajara in 2017 to plant Iglesia Comunidad Biblica Church, and children don't mock me. My children have that, you, you can't. Uh, currently, they are in the United Kingdom with this very gifted man, Alberto Solano, studying at Oxford. Or Mark and Rachel, I won't mention their last name for security reasons, in one country in Asia, focusing on evangelism and church strengthening. And this is the wonderful partnership where we've been blessed to send three short-term teams to country to work alongside Mark and Rachel. Or Frank and Jacqueline Ruscio with his ministry of helicopter and airplane pilot training to support missions around the world, especially to unreached tribal groups. Or Thomas and Karis Berger with their ministry to refugees and immigrants and local church in Dallas. Dawson Weiss, a godly young single lady who's serving on a Navigators Ministries team in Amsterdam, Netherlands, with a focus on discipleship of international college students, uh, women, of course, in Dawson's case, and urban evangelism. Or lastly, the training organization, the Master's Academy International, which trains indigenous church leaders in expository preaching and a biblical philosophy of ministry. Beloved, understand this. Even as we are so blessed at the God-blessed annual members meeting we had Friday night, and we're reminded of how God has provided for each of us individually and for us corporately, understand this. Your faithful and generous support is a blessing. And my question is this. Do you pray for the missionaries we support? Beloved, pray for what you pay for. Did you get that again? Your contribution is a blessing and a joy. Thank you unto the Lord for that. And we don't seek the gift. We seek the profit that comes to you from the gift. And again, pray for what you pay for. Know your missionaries and your families and pray for them. So, beloved, 
his or her reputation is the first mark. The second mark of a global Christian is his or her commission, his or her commission. Now, of course, when we think of missions, we think of the Great Commission. But the mission that is being focused here by John to Gaius isn't the mission of going. It is the mission of staying and supporting and sending. Beloved, fulfilling the Great Commission is not relegated to the few eccentrics and the few fanatics. It is a responsibility. It's a blessing of the entire church. Uh, Tim Palin, the chairman of our elder board, with his fantastic message, I was so encouraged when he talked about and stressed and emphasized the vital importance of each one of you, each one of us, in fulfilling the great commission to take the gospel to the remotest part of the earth and right here in our own community. That's why in verse 6 at the end, John continues to Gaius, and you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. So he commends Gaius for receiving them well, and then he exhorts Gaius to send them well, support them well, shepherd them well, as you might even have the opportunity. And it's qualified by that phrase at the end, in a manner worthy of God. Uh, the great reminder that it's not about us. It's not about me. Ultimately, it's not even about the beloved, dear people that they'll be going to. It's about the glory of God. Uh, John Murray said, great statement, the passion for missions is quenched when people lose sight of the grandeur of the gospel. When we do think of the Great Commission, in the closing words of Jesus Christ to his disciples, as recorded by Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to keep all that I commanded you. So, beloved, what we see there in the Great Commission is Jesus is not merely telling them to go and be used by God to convert them. He's saying, be used by God to convert them and to baptize them and to teach them, to ground them, to root them in all that he commanded. Beloved, making disciples of all the nations biblically means that we make growing, maturing, reproducing disciples. And it goes on from there. Even you think of 2 Timothy 2, 2 where take the things, Paul says to Timothy, that you've heard from me and entrust these to faithful men that they also may be able to teach. That's a manifestation, outworking of the Great Commission. Growing, maturing, reproducing disciples is the goal. And beloved, understand this. This is not the great suggestion. This is not the grand option. This is the Great Commission. <laughs> This is a, an edict. This is a decree. This is a mandate. This is a command from the king of kings to every man, woman, and child who are in Christ, who are new creatures in Christ Jesus. And we can think of the 11 apostles. Judas is out of the picture here. They were a scattered fearful, cowering group after the crucifixion. But by the transformation, by the commission, by seeing the risen Christ, they became, they were transformed into a mighty missionary force. Or we can think 
of the example of the Apostle Paul and his exhortation into that mature church in Philippi. Philippians 4, verses 15 and 17. Listen to what Paul wrote to this church. He said, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Now watch this, what he says in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. So, beloved, we don't give to get, but when we give, not concerned about our own name, but when we give that the name of Christ would be exalted and lifted up, we we do get God blesses us with profit, with eternal profit, sometimes even temporal profit, profit spiritual and emotional, sometimes even financial profit as well. And, beloved, We do this for the glory of God. We understand that we're not all called to go, but we are all called to give. We are not all called to preach, but we are all, each and every one of us, of vital importance, are called to pray and to provide. And I love the theme from the annual meeting, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 and 10. This reflects this and flows from this so well. Paul writes, As to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it, watch this, towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. So the Thessalonians weren't only concerned about their own little holy huddle. They were concerned in demonstrating the love of Christ for the brethren in all of Macedonia. And then the final statement, but we urge you, brethren, to what? To excel yet more. Beloved Santan Bible Church, may we excel yet more in this great holy war for the glory of God. Reputation, commission, the third mark of a global Christian is his qualification. Now, in some Christian circles, many people have bought into the lie that has brought much ruin to the Great Commission, namely that missionaries somehow have to be magically zapped or endowed with some kind of strange, esoteric, mysterious knowledge that sets them apart and makes them qualified to be missionaries. Beloved, that is a lie. A biblically qualified missionary is merely a pastor at large. It's the same qualifications as God gives in 1 Timothy and Titus for an elder for a pastor. Now, you may have a support type ministry, and in that case, that would certainly be a deacon qualified man as well. And I speak of the men, but of course, there is no man that is qualified without a godly qualified wife at his side. We can ask the question, how do you plant a church? I mean, how many classes, how, much, how many years of training do you have to go through to understand how you plant a church in a foreign field? Beloved, you plant a church in a foreign field exactly the same way you should plant a church in Gilbert, Arizona. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of a pastor. Do the work of a Titus II woman. Do the work of a Christian. It's the same gospel, the same word of God. So, we are blessed and privileged to train, affirm, equip, send, support, and shepherd called and qualified workers. And here in verse 7, 3 John, he gives us 
clarity in terms of what that qualification looks like. He says, for, here's the reason why, here's the reason behind verses 5 and 6. For, they went out for the sake of the name. For the sake of the name above every other name. His name, the name means his character, his authority, his lordship. This is keeping and observing and bowing the knee to all that he has commanded in all of Scripture, even at the center of the Great Commission. John Stott had these choice words. He said this, The highest of all missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as that is, nor love for sinners who are perishing, strong as that is, but rather zeal, burning zeal, burning passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. Beloved, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. What is the ultimate purpose of all evangelism? The ultimate purpose of all evangelism, local and missions, namely it is the glory of God. We evangelize for the sake of the sinner, but even more importantly, we evangelize for the sake of the Savior. And as important as the former is, the latter is the greater. And beloved, this means that if we're going to, as a local body, have an expression of love among the family of faith, it has to be the type of expression of love that weathers disappointment, disagreement, and disharmony. All of these are wrapped up in family. It's very rare, but even brothers and sisters occasionally are you. It's rare and few and far between. But what that means is in the body of Christ, we stand side by side for the cause of the gospel, for the sake of the name. And so, beloved, these qualified men and women do what they do for the Lord, not for lucre. That's why he says at the end of verse 7, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Uh, Ethne is the word there, Gentiles. But in the, the context in which John is writing, you could understand this as saying accepting nothing from the pagans. And the point here is the missionary, the evangelist, doesn't go and say, pagans, I've got good news. Pay me and I'll tell you about it. That's not it. He's not, they're, they're not there to get from the Gentiles. They go to give to the Gentiles. Paul, to be sure, Paul did write, this is John writing here, but Paul did write that I have a right for a living from the gospel, but may genotai, may it never be, I will never, ever, ever charge for the gospel. That's why he said to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2.17, we're not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God. So they do what they do. We do what we do for the Lord, not for the lucre. And what he says at the beginning of verse 8, John does here, therefore, here's the application, we ought to support such men. Men who are characterized by faithfulness to the truth, men who are characterized by fidelity of life. These are men, women, who know the truth, believe the truth, and live the truth. These are men and women where there's no dichotomy between belief and practice. And 
For example, Romans, and by the way, it's men, even as I said, women. Uh, Romans 16, verse 2, in the last chapter of Romans, as Paul is writing his closing greetings, in verse 1, he talks about this godly woman named Phoebe. Romans 16, verse 1, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Centria that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, watch this, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. So you can, so for example, I mentioned Dawson Weiss. It was a joy and a blessing for us to partner with Dawson in her short-term ministry in the Netherlands. Now, what are some qualifications parameters around sending a single woman it's very much in the same way you men you husband you father excuse me you fathers and mothers when you send a single daughter men when you send your single beautiful daughter out from the shelter and protection of your home for example to a college town somewhere you don't send her to the college, have her get planted and say, okay, let's hope she can find a good church. No, before you send your daughter out of the authority and protection of you, you make sure there's a good, solid church with godly qualified men and wives that she can come under their shelter and protection. I remember when my beloved Rebecca went off to Master's University and she got a degree and she got a most wonderful husband. But I remember when I was taking her there and people were saying, oh, is it hard for you to, to send your daughter? And I had to kind of analyze and say, is something wrong with me? It's, it's really not. <laughs> I mean, one element was this was after my beloved Margie went home to be with the Lord, and that gives kind of a different perspective on things. But more to the point here was she was going to an environment where there were godly men and godly women that I knew she would be under in the same way before we would consider sending a godly young woman we want to make sure there's godly protection and shelter and authority and that was what we did in the case of Dawson Wise so that's Phoebe similar language Paul says when he was writing to Titus in Titus 3:13 listen to this he says he instructs Titus diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. So, not only do we have example of another saved lawyer, but a command to support him. And I'm kind of throwing a bone out to my brother elder lawyer who I occasionally make lawyer jokes from. And I don't know if that qualifies as, as a support or a bone or maybe a token of itself. Well, but let me say a few words as I try to reel ourselves back in in terms of different types of mission work so we understand what some of the different possibilities are and where we desire to focus our stewardship. There are expat global partners, expat expatriate Christians that go into a country, establish a business and work, and seek the shalom and the well-being. Remember Jeremiah 29, verse 7, when God was prophesying to Israel before they were taken into captivity at Babylon, the pagan city, he says through Jeremiah, seek the welfare, seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, in its shalom, you will have welfare shalom. And that's precisely what Rob Provost does, what Micah Turner does. There's leadership training training national pastors in expository preaching and pastoral ministry. And these areas here are where at Santan, we believe, is the best bang for our buck, the greatest stewardship, 
And this is where we desire to focus our mission. So we have a rough goal of about 80% of Santan Bible Church missions budget needs to go towards these areas. But there's also church strengthening, coming alongside an existing church to support and strengthen its work in the community. And you really need to have a like-minded pastor for that to be the place. Church planning, where there's no church. Translation, bringing the word of God to a people group that doesn't have the Bible in their language. And then support work, a pilot, mechanic, and so forth. Beloved, the bottom line is this. God commands we who believe to support missions to those who don't believe so that they might come to believe. And it is for all of us to do. We all have a role. So, the reputation, commission, qualification, the fourth mark of a missions-minded man, a missions-minded woman, a global Christian, is his collaboration. This is the great privilege. This is the great reward. At the end of verse 8, he finishes that, so that, hina, so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Fellow workers, the Greek word is synergos. We get the English word synergy from this word. Fellow workers, co-laborers. Beloved, there's a bond. There's a synergy. There's a magnetism with divine force that draws us together into the fury of the battle of this great holy war between God and the spiritual forces of darkness. And it's not a not a parody. God is sovereign and God is supreme, and we are called into battle. And he says, with the truth, with the word of God, with the Bible. Beloved, it is the way of salvation. It is the message that is the means by which God will glorify himself in every tongue, tribe, and nation, in all the families of the earth and Israel. James Montgomery Boyce, in the context of the uniqueness and the sufficiency of the message of the word had these choice words. Dr. Boyce, the late Dr. Boyce said, left to ourselves, we could speak little but error, or at best truth mixed with error. But when we proclaim God's word, we proclaim that which is eternally truthful. Not only true for a particular person, but true for all time and for all people, end quote. Beloved, in the same way as all of the blessed ministries we have here at Santan Bible Church, everything we do here at Santan Bible Church, children, men, women, preaching, home groups, etc., etc., are all centered and based upon the Word of God, the ministry of the Word. In the same way, the missions we support, the qualified men and women, everything they do is centered on the Word of God. Not many mighty, not many noble. To God be the glory. Fred Mitchell was an English pharmacist and later third general director of the China Inland Mission. On May 3rd, 1953, he was on a plane that was taking off from Calcutta to fly to London, and six minutes after the takeoff, the plane crashed. The last thing the ground control heard from the cockpit was climbing on track. When a Biography was later written about Fred Mitchell's life. The biography was called Climbing on Track. And here's an excerpt from that biography that describes the routine, not shiny, not exciting life of Fred Mitchell. It said this, quote, The abiding message of Fred Mitchell's life is he accomplished no great thing. 
His name was linked with many Christian organizations, but he was the founder of none. He turned the feet of many into the paths of righteousness, but not more than any others of his contemporaries. He made no spectacular and aspiring sacrifices. He effected no reforms. For the first 45 years of his life, the pathway he traversed was similar to that of thousands of other self-made, moderately successful businessmen. And quote, the quote, from village school to chemist shop, quote, would have been an appropriate summing up of his outward course. However, on this ordinary humdrum track, he walked with God, climbing steadily in spiritual experience. Beloved, it's relatively easy to walk with God when the track isn't humdrum, when the band's playing, when the enthusiasm of the surrounding company gives you energy you didn't even know that you had. But that's not routine. What's routine is routine. And listen, unless we learn to climb steadily on the humdrum track, we will never learn to climb at all. Not many mighty, not many noble. Beloved, the point here is most everybody wants to change the world, but very few people want to do the dishes. You get the point? Beloved, I think when, in the end, when the books are opened, we'll find the grace of God was at work in great and glorious ways, in a great many of unsung, unknown heroes buried in unknown graves. And the senders and the supporters are the co-workers with the goers. And the glorious truth, beloved, listen, the glorious truth is this. When you support a righteous man, you share in a righteous man's reward. When it appears the enemy is raging and winning, even as we sang in a song earlier about the raging, I think there we said a storm, but when the enemy's raging and winning, let us join our arms together in the great holy war for the sake of the name. In 18th century, there was an island in the West Indies, and there was a slave owner that held 3,000 slaves on this island. The slave owner was aware of missionary efforts of Christian missionaries, and he forbade Christian missionaries to even come to the island. He said this, quote, No preacher will ever stay on this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. But he'll never talk to any of us about God and that nonsense of the gospel. 3,000 slaves on the island Toiling in the sugarcane fields under the burning sun. 3,000 souls doomed to live and die without hearing of Christ. There were two young Moravian men in their 20s. They heard of the plight of these slaves. They were pierced in their hearts. What did they do? They sold themselves intentionally, voluntarily as slaves to the slave owners so that as members of the slave community, they would be able to share the good news of the victory of Christ with those 3,000 slaves. Their Moravian community came to see them off when they came and went and boarded the slave ship to take them to the island where they would never return. The Moravian community was there. Family members were emotional. They were weeping. They were saying, is this really necessary? Is this extreme sacrifice worth it? As the ship slipped away with the tide and the gap widened, the young men linked their arms together. They raised their hands and they shouted across a spreading gap, 
May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And that battle cry, that spiritual battle cry, became the cry of the Moravian missionary people after that as well. Beloved, in closing, remember how this began even here. We talked about Genesis. We talked about God's judgment coming upon people at the Tower of Babel. How God scattered them off into every tongue, tribe, and nation. In the public reading of Scripture earlier, I read from Revelation chapter 5. And again, I want to draw our hearts back to that, verses 8 and 9. Where the Apostle John there wrote these words. When he had taken the book, the risen lamb standing as if slain. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the book and to break its seal for, watch this, you were slain and purchased with your blood from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So that which was dispersed in God's judgment is now redeemed eternally in heaven, worshiping God in perfect spirit and truth forever and ever. Beloved, dearly beloved, the call is clear. Go get what God has purchased. Go get what God has purchased. Please join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we praise you and thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, we lament, we weep over our sin which drove you to the cross. But we praise you and thank you, Lord God, that you bore the lashes on our behalf. You allowed your brow to be pierced with the thorns, your, your side. You were nailed to a tree, lifted up, that you might draw men, Jews and Gentiles, male and female, even from every tongue, tribe, and nation. We praise you, Lord God, for the gift of salvation, for the eternal plan of redemption. Dear God, bless what we do here at Santan Bible Church. Bless our evangelism, our outreach to our community. Bless our missionaries, the godly men and women, the children. Be with them, strengthen them, equip them. Let them fill your presence in great and mighty ways. May there be a great harvest for your glory and for the rescue of lost souls. And it is for your glory and for your honor, Lord Jesus, that we pray, that we sing, that we do all these things. Amen.